Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood. Today's guest has such a surreal story. It's as though it's from a movie or a television show, but in fact, it's real life for her. We're joined by Katarina McLeod. She spent 15 years being sexually exploited. She experienced all sorts of trauma and abuse, but today... She's using her own experience to help other women who are going through similar situations. And she thanks God for getting her to where she is today. And she thanks her children for introducing her to God. We're going to hear that story and so much more today on Connections. We're joined today by Katarina McLeod. She is the founder and executive director of Rising Angels. She's also a survivor of over 15 years of sexual exploitation. We're joined today by Katarina McLeod. She is the founder and executive director of Rising Angels. She's also a survivor of over 15 years of sexual exploitation. First of all, we need to know your story. Can we start from the beginning, from your childhood? When I, my earliest memory for me of being sexually abused is two years old. And that was happening by a family member. And that went on for, oh my gosh, until my parents broke up, um, like divorced. So that I was almost nine years old. And along the way, two other people would start abusing me as well. So when the family member first started to abuse me, I didn't I didn't look at it. It was as it was wrong because it was a family member of someone really close. So in my my little brain it didn't comprehend. But when two other men started to abuse me, that's when I knew that what was happening was wrong, but then I didn't know who to tell or what to do. Um, there was some threats. If I told, you know, there would be repercussions. So I was just very confused as a little girl. Um, it also instilled something into me. Um, it made me feel like that was my worth. Um, was It was being sexually abused was part of who I was. And I carried that, unfortunately, into my teenage years and ended up dating very, very violent men. And I didn't know how to be with a man unless he was physically hurting me. So all of my boyfriends were violent. Um, I can remember the first boyfriend I had, I was 12 years old, he was 18, and we got into an argument and he threw a screwdriver at me. And I can remember pulling that screwdriver out of my head and not feeling a way about it. So I had become desensitized. Um, to the abuse that was ha- had happened to me and was happening to me. And it just became normal for me. I was a, you know, I kind of, you know, I was very young in the church. Um, I grew up in a church setting. Um, you know, I believed in God and all of those things. But after the abuse started happening to me, it kind of was like, okay, here's this God that I learned was like Santa Claus in my brain. He could see everything. He could hear everything. You know, he knew if you were sleeping, if you were bad or good. And well, if all this stuff was happening to me, where was he? And um, I felt betrayed. I felt he wasn't real. And um, I, it just left me on a road of destruction. I started drinking and doing drugs and just numbing my pain. I ended up pregnant at 14 years old and gave birth um, when I was 15 I never should have had a baby at 15 years old. I wasn't equipped um, mentally, emotionally, or any of those things to raise a child. But I really wanted to have something that would love me and not hurt me. And I I thought if I could have a baby, that's what I would receive, not knowing or not realizing all the other responsibility that was going to come along with it. 
So I had a baby and wasn't prepared to take care of her. So I kind of gave her to my mom and I just continued on my crazy wild lifestyle. And at 17 years old, I met a man who was very abusive. He was more abusive than the rest, but I liked him better than the rest. And in my mind, I really believe this is how men were and this is what they were going to do. So I married this guy and um, we got married. And I can remember the night we got married, um, you know, he, we went out to a bar to celebrate our marriage and he was dancing up on another woman and kissing another woman and came home and we got into a fight and he had beat me up, <clears throat> but it was my normal. And my husband would go to jail all the time, in and out of jail for petty crimes, um, thefts, break and enters, um, sometimes for threatening me. When he would go to prison, he would get whoever was his flavor friend of the month to kind of keep an eye on me. And um, the last time he went to prison, he had a friend of his um, kind of keep an eye on me, take me for jail visits. Um, you know, if I needed groceries to take me for them because his friend had a card and I didn't. Um, just kind of making sure that I was being this good wife and not out there cheating or whatever. And um, so this friend of his was actually very nice. I mean, he was respectful to me. He, you know, just wasn't what I had been used to um, dealing with any type of man. Even like, you know, friends were just like that abusive, you know, hardcore men. So I became friends with this guy. As I was away from my husband for a while, I started to realize that I, I didn't want to be physically abused anymore. When you're in it for a while and then you're removed from it, you, you start to feel different, right? Um, when you're not being beaten up every day, something happens to you. You start to change and you, you don't want that anymore. And I didn't want it anymore. And I can remember my husband calling from jail. And I told him I didn't want to be married anymore. And he cried and he cried and he cried. And and I said, okay, if you can change your ways and get sober and hold a job and not hit me anymore when you get out, you know, I'll consider, I'll consider it. And um, the man who, you know, had been keeping an eye on me and taking me for jail visits, he took it upon himself to kill my husband. My husband got moved to a halfway house. And um, he took it upon himself to kill my husband and involve me after the fact. Oh. And, and then for three years, he pretty much held me and my kids, you know, hostage. We were too scared to tell anybody. You know, he had now become this. If I thought anybody was violent, nobody was. I was not prepared for what this man would do to me. I was burnt with cigarettes. Um, I had whip marks on me. Um, he would play Russian roulette. And I was just horrified to <clears throat> tell anybody, but he wanted me to deter the police. And in order to do that, he wanted me to get a restraining order against my husband, file for a divorce and join a woman's support group um, for abused women. And all three I did. And in the woman's abuse group, you know, I was allowed to talk about the abuse that I had suffered at the hands of my husband, but obviously I couldn't tell anybody that, you know, he was dead, even though I knew he was, um, I had to say he was missing. So I would go to this group and, you know, you make friends with women and you kind of tell them your background. And that's what I had done. And there was a woman in the group who is very vivacious and she was blonde hair and she dressed very scandalously. 
but we became friends and um, she was a pimp and she offered me a job. And in that moment, I thought if I could save money, maybe I could escape what was going on um, in my home life. Then there was that other thought of, well, why, why not? I mean, men have abused and used me my whole life. What's the difference? So I took the job and I remember going home and telling the guy, let's call him Chris. Okay. Just to make it easier. Um, I remember telling Chris that I was going to go to work at this place and he turned out to be okay with it because it turned out that this woman who was a pimp was actually his father's ex-girlfriend. So it was kind of like everybody had a, a piece of me. Everybody was keeping an eye on me. And I went um, to the so-called job and I can tell you it is nothing that I expected on any level is totally degrading. And, and I felt it, even though I had gone through all this horrible stuff and I had done all this horrible stuff, this changed me to the core and there was no turning back for me. There was just no turning back. Um, and that started me onto a grueling 15 years of sexual exploitation. You know, along the way, I would end up having four kids all together and what that looked like for them, you know, as somebody who was going through this and trying to raise children. So it was a, just a total mess. I was in a total mess and didn't know how to get my life back and didn't know if, even if I could get a life back. This had become my normal for so long that living on that fight, flight or freedom mode, uh, sorry, fight, flight or freeze mode had become my normal. So when I would try to do normal things, I mean, I had tried to leave over the 15 years, get legit jobs, but I couldn't handle it. I, the damage that it was doing to me, I didn't even realize. And um, this is what happens to a lot of women. Most women is that when you're in it, it's so normal and you don't realize the damage that it's done. It's, it kind of creeps up on you. Through all of this too, like, did you have any family left or any friends that were caring about you, your, your, your oldest daughter, what were they seeing on the outside? You know what? Um, the only, I didn't really have any family. Um, I had my mom and my mom was, you know, had been a victim in her life. And so she wasn't the greatest at showing me boundaries and life skills and stuff like that. She had a lot of trauma herself. Um, my oldest child, um, she, you know what, she, it was funny. She became a Christian, um, later in her life while I was still um, being sexually exploited. And, um, she had found out what I was doing. I used to tell my kids, I worked in a nail salon and she, she overheard me one night talking to somebody complaining about a client, something violent that had happened. And we never spoke about it. Like she never really said like, I know what you're doing, but she would post scriptures on my door. She would say, you know, mom, God loves you or things like that. Like we never had an out and out conversation that I was prostituting, but she knew. And I think that was the only place that I, I had any kind of support or somebody wanting me to change um, what I was going through. I, I became like a bank machine for people. And I guess because I normalized it, 
so much that I could convince everybody else how normal it was. So nobody really questioned me. Nobody encouraged me to leave. Nobody told me that I was better. Nobody told me I deserved better. They really didn't. Um, this had just been become my life in the way that I was going to support my children and um, what I was going to do. And so, like I said, 15 years, 15 years changes you. <laughs> yeah. And you had your children through all of this. I did. I did. Um, I had my first two when I was, like I said, 15 and 19. Um, and then I had the next two when I was in, when I was 30 and they were by my pimp time I was being pimped out and I was groomed in. And it was funny because I had been in the game for over 10 years and I, you know, I knew the game and of course I was, you know, independent and I met somebody who kind of sweeped me off my feet and he promised me that the family that I had craved my whole life, the security I had craved my whole life, the love I had craved, had craved my whole life. He promised me those things. And um, I knew that he was a pimp. And, um, but unfortunately, when women are in this world, there's a hierarchy. I thought he loved me and he was taking me out and he was buying me all kinds of things. And, you know, I still look back and I can't, I'm like, I can't believe I fell for this. Like I knew better, but I was so desperate to just have somebody love me. And we ended up having two children and my life was just destroyed in my brain. And my life was destroyed. I mean, here was somebody that I trusted that I loved. I knew he was a pimp, but it was okay. You know, I was used to that life, but then I found out that he had been hurting my daughter and my whole world collapsed. And now here I was with four kids, no help, um, no income, but what I was bringing in. And I kind of went off the rails and my addiction went to an all time high. I ended up in, in the mental ward. At one point I had a nervous breakdown. I just, everything was crushed. And now it just became about survival for the kids. I didn't care about myself. I trusted nobody really now more than ever. And you know, pain was my normal. Pain was what I was used to. So I had become this really hard, desensitized, angry human being. It got to a point where I would go out and look for a fight. It got to a point where when clients were violent with me, I was violent back. It got to a point where I would daydream about physically hurting the tricks and the clients. And, um, my, my mind became really warped and just, yeah, it was not good what was going on in my brain. How did you get out, uh, out of all of this? What led you down the path to recovery and to where you are today? So cardinal rule is you don't get involved with a client. And I did. I actually fell for a client. We both emotionally um, became involved with each other. And he had heard my story and he offered me an out. And that out would be, I will support you and your kids financially. You know, we're going to live together. I'll get, you can get on your feet. And I, I jumped at it and this was 15 years in. So it was like a point where I was either going to kill myself or I was going to kill a client. Like that's the point it had come to. And so when he offered me this, I took it. And for three years, he financially supported me and my children. But in return, I became his private prostitute. Um, he still treated me. He controlled all the money. I could volunteer, but he didn't want me having a regular job. 
all kinds of stuff. He gave me an allowance. And to me, I thought, well, this is better than, you know, being in with a bunch of guys. It's just one guy. And then three years later, he left me. And when he left me, I was crushed. Now I had already been in the anti-human trafficking movement. I had already been helping girls and working with police, but I honestly didn't know how I was going to do anything. I, I wasn't making a living doing that. So when he left me, I was going to go back to what I knew, which was prostitution. And I called my eldest daughter and I told her and she was devastated. And uh, she called me back probably half hour later. My daughter, like I said, became Christian when she was very young and she was part of um, a church and she had youth leaders in that church who kind of were like her mentors. And she went to them and, and I guess she called them and she told them what was going on. And these mentors offered to give me first and last month's rent, no strings attached. And I wanted nothing to do, first of all, with Jesus people. And secondly, I didn't trust anybody. So I made an appointment with an old client and I said, no, I'm not going to take the money. I'm going back to what I know. And I can remember sitting on the hotel room, like hotel bed in the hotel room and looking at this client and things were just whipping through my head. All the women that I had helped um, kept going through my head. What if I get caught? What if they find out? And then I knew in that moment, if I did this, I wasn't coming back. I knew if I went through with that transaction with this client, that was it. My life was over. And I got up and I walked away. I didn't go through with it. And I agreed to take the money from these um, youth leaders, my daughter's youth leaders. And in return for that, it it started something like I felt obligated to go to church, even though they didn't make me feel obligated. And I started going to church. And then, you know, the woman who had given me the money, she she became really a really good friend of mine and started to mentor me and they had an alpha program going on in church. And she was like, um, you know, do you want to come to this alpha program? And I really thought she wanted to go to alpha, not understanding she'd been in the church for over 20 years at this point. Um, so again, I felt obligated and I went to alpha, but I went to alpha on a mission to prove that God was like every man that I had ever come across. So I asked the most inappropriate questions in alpha and they were very loving to me. Um, the elders and the people in there and, the ninth week into Alpha, I went in very broken and I left there and I was going to commit suicide. And I kept hearing this voice in my head that that said to give it, give me a chance. And I knew that voice because I, like I said, I was a little girl in the church. And probably nine, 10, 11, 12, it was about three hours later, it was 1230 at night that I just finally pulled over my car and I said, okay, okay, God, if you're real, do your damn thing. And I'll tell you, there was no sparks and, you know, anything like that. But that hole that I had been trying to fill through drugs, um, through materialistic things, was instantaneously filled. For the first time in my life, I had peace. And it was a peace that I can't, I can't explain to you. And it changed my life. And, and from that moment forward, I wanted to scream from the mountaintops um, my story. I wanted to share it. I wanted... I knew that I wanted to help other women. So the couple who had given me the money for first and last month's rent became my mentors and they helped me. The damage that is done to a woman who has been sexually exploited is um, it's horrific. There's PTSD she suffers from. There's disassociation. There's mental issues. Um, even knowing the basic life skills, they these women don't know, nor did I know. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to 
budget. I didn't know how to, you know, anything that was, you know, the normal, I didn't know how to do. And it's the same for these women. So we started an organization called rising angels and, um, Rising Angels is an organization that walks alongside and mentors women who have been sexually exploited. And it's not just human trafficking, it's prostitution. Um, so anybody who's gone through this and kind of needs a cheerleader and somebody who gets it, that's what I do. So I'm that voice of reason. I'll get the two, three, four o'clock in the morning phone call where women are freaking out, wanting to kill themselves, wanting to go back or just having a bad day and I'll talk them down. Um, we offer trauma-informed counseling. We also do a lot of um, education and advocacy, and we, we train front lines um, on how to deal with her mindset. So it's not just Human Trafficking 101. It's how to understand a woman and what she's gone through and what that's done to her brain and how to help her. Because there's not no one-stop shop for everybody. Everybody needs an individualized program. So that's what we do. And we also run a church every Wednesday on Zoom for women. And um, we have a program that's called the Reboot Program, which helps girls who have come out and are wanting to go back to school um, ha and have been under an organization, um, getting the therapy, getting the healing that they they want. Um, and they're eligible for the Reboot Program, which helps them to get a brand new laptop and a printer if they want to go back to school. Um, so we help them with that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what we do. We also offer financial help to these women. So, you know, if they need help with their groceries or their bills, um, the rents, if they need, you know, clothes, that kind of stuff, we help pay for that. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Tell me a little bit more about the church that you do via Zoom. Okay, so the church is called Divine Church. And um, we used to meet in person, obviously, before all this craziness. But this is a place we call... Um, it's for the perfectly imperfect and it's for anybody. It's, well, no, it's for women. Sorry. It's just for women only, but it's for all women. So, you know, sometimes you church can feel like a place of judgment or expectation. And that, that can really like deter people from even wanting to go to church or even explore spirituality on any realm. So this church is just for any woman who wants to join with no judgment. It's really a fellowship of women who we pray for each other. We have game night um, once a month. We, you know, we read little parables or, or talk about certain things. So it's church, but not church. And it's really come as you are. I mean, you can come in your pajamas. We have women who don't believe who come on here, who just come on here because they like the sisterhood and the fellowship. So it's just loving you where you're at. That's exactly what this church is about. And for me, Divine Church um, was something that I, I had a vision of a few years ago um, because I went to church when I was in the game and I just, I felt judged and I felt ashamed, uh, ashamed. And maybe that was my own issues, but I felt it and I felt like I didn't fit in. So I wanted to have a church that would be for anybody. Didn't matter. doesn't matter where you've been, what you're going through or where you are right now. Um, you're loved. And that's what divine church is for us. For people who want to learn more uh, about Rising Angels, about Divine Church, um, how can they go about learning more? So you can go on our website, which is um, www.risingangels.net. We also have a face Facebook page. We have um, Instagram. And it's, again, that's Rising Angels. So if you wanted to go on there, you could find out more. Um, for Divine Church, it's every Wednesday from 7 um, to 9 p.m.
7.30 to 9 p.m. And you could inbox me or get a hold of me and I'll, I'll send you the link. And that's how you can join us. So, yeah, that's kind of how you can find out more about who we are. And for someone who may be listening to this and is going through a similar situation and doesn't know what to do, what would you say to them? You know what? There's hope. There's absolutely hope. And I know change is scary. And if trust has been broken, it's really hard to get that, to gain that or to feel that. I would encourage you to reach out to myself or a similar organization um, and just have a conversation. Nothing has to be written in stone. You don't have to, you know, I have a lot of women who call me who are still stuck in this and they're not ready or they're scared to even get out of it. And I just want to build a rapport and walk alongside of you. So we can just have a conversation, no strings attached, nothing expected. Just reach out. That's what I would say. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much. Check out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can do that by visiting podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.